You're listening to the Skift Podcast. Today, we feature audio from a live stream presentation done this week by Skift research analysts Seth Borko, Pranavi Argawal, and Varsha Aurora, where they discuss some key takeaways and stories from the State of Travel 2023, the comprehensive report that was recently released by Skift Research. You can find a link to the report in the episode description. You can also head to research.skift.com to find the report as well as all of Skift Research's in-depth analysis of the global travel industry. Enjoy the conversation. We're so excited to be here and so excited to uh, have you with us. My name is Seth Borko. I'm joined by my colleagues on the Skift Research team, Pranavi and Varsha. And we're going to be talking about the state of travel. And the state of travel is both a, a state of being, so to speak, but it's also a report that we just launched. This is a really exciting report for us. It is, first of all, by far the most comprehensive report we do every single year, 250 plus slides and insights. And also perhaps more importantly for this audience, it's one of the only, I think the only free report that we do every year. So Skiff Research is normally a paid membership, but uh, this report is available for all of you to see for free. So you can download the report and follow along. Um, so here's the thing with our state of travel report is I often get asked to summarize it. And that is quite a challenge because like I said, it's 250 slides, but it covers so many different topics. So it's not really one report. It's actually a collection of many and multiple stories about what is happening in the travel industry today. And you can see, I think our table of contents does a good job of this. We've summed it up. We look at the performance of travel and tourism and the economic landscape. We look at consumer, business, and investor trends. And then we do sector by sector looks through each of these reports. And so what we're going to do is I've actually got the report up really live in front of me right here today. And we're kind of just going to go through the state of travel. Uh, each of us have picked two of our favorite stories uh, told in charts throughout this report. We're going to alternate, walk you through our favorite stories, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll cover a lot about where we are in the state of travel. We're going to try and cover, cover some from the performance sector, from the trend sector, and from the sector sector. So to start, we're going to actually start with an economic trend. So we're going to navigate down to our economic landscape section. We're going to take a look at, um, at some of the charts that we find most exciting, and I'm going to throw us over to, uh, to Varsha to talk about one of our first trends and a long-term opportunity that we see in travel. So Varsha, take it away from here. Thank you, Seth. Thank you so much. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Varsha Arora and I'm a research analyst with Skift. Why I picked this particular story was because obviously I want to start by talking big picture. Um, the travel industry, as we all know, has endured a big jolt during the pandemic. However, as we delve into its present landscape, it's just it's just our belief that travel stands tall as an absolute mega trend. I mean, no doubt, you know, we have noticed a couple of bumpy uh, uh, stuff out there. The global economy isn't quite flexing its muscles and economists are sort of predicting and inflation across various regions of the world. And obviously, travel being, being a discretionary spend, it is bound to have an impact on travel spending at some level. However, what I want to highlight through this particular slide uh, is that amidst all these challenges, all these hard, I mean, you know, the challenges with respect to the travel industry and the short term worries, there is a silver lining that exists. 
and I mean, travel is still under indexed with respect to the broader economy, which means there is ample of room for all travel suppliers to grow and, you know, just um, make the most of these opportunities. So let me quickly highlight a couple of data points to, you know, sort of validate as to why we are so bullish on this positive outlook. One being that while, you know, prices of hotels and airlines with, uh, in US have increased, but they haven't increased par with the inflation rate. That's one. Second is GDP, as we all know, has done really well in the compared to YOY stats. Uh, it's approximately 20 to 30% higher, but travel has just sort of started to recover. So again, like there's a gap, there is an untapped potential that we're talking about and a major catch-up growth for this industry. I mean, if you look at this chart, we're talking about around 240 million trips below potential in 2025. Um, a couple of more points just to, again, uh, prove why we are bullish on this positive outlook. One, that this 2022 has been actually the year of the maximum passport issuances in the US. The, uh, there are around 90 plus countries which you can travel visa-free now as compared to just 50 um, back into a decade. So, I mean, international travel is becoming accessible. And also, stronger economies are coming up. China and India, the gravitational force of travel is sort of moving southwards and eastwards, which is obviously about to you know, uh, bring up new opportunities and challenges. So, th those are, you know, a couple of points which makes us really believe that travel is an absolute mega trend and we should just be hopeful amidst all these short term worries. So that's sort of the big picture. Maybe Seth, you can talk about at present. I mean, how does the state of travel look at present? Yeah, thank you so much, Varsha. So we're gonna we're gonna navigate back, and I'm gonna gonna talk a little about not so much the economic landscape like Varsha was talking about. I want to talk about travel and tourism and, and international travel, and we're gonna start just looking a little more like Varsha was saying, a little more where we are today, right? So Varsha was talking about how in the long run, we really believe that travel is a mega trend, but, but what's going on in our, the state of our industry right here, right now. So we, we do a lot to track and measure the health of the travel and tourism industry. And we try and do it on a holistic basis. We have an index that blends air travel, hotel travel, short-term rental tourism activities. And what we see is that pretty much outside of Asia, we're seeing very, very full recoveries. We have, we call it like the 100 club sometimes, it's 100 being 2019 levels. Most countries outside of Asia are now back or above 100 performance levels relative to 2019. Uh, it's been a strong recovery, especially year to date and in the last year. But I think one of the things that we all have experienced working in the industry is that the real strength in recovery has come from domestic travel or from regional travel. So I'm based in the US, there's been a huge boom in US travel and I, you know, within the region, right? The Caribbean and Mexico saw a lot of demand from outbound American tourists in recent years. So what's interesting is what's happening next with long haul travel? I think that's the next big question because we're not fully recovered on the long haul side of things. So we're looking now at international tourist arrivals by region and we're looking at growth rates in two different timeframes. One, relative to where we were last year, year to date versus last year in 2023. And two, relative to where we were in 2019. And we can see the Middle East is the only region that's fully recovered above and beyond where it was in 2019. So they're getting 17% more international tourists than they did 
before the pandemic. But if you look across the rest of this chart, Europe, Americas, and Africa, 11, minus 11, minus 13, minus 14, kind of those low teens percentage declines. So we have yet to see in many regions a full recovery in international long haul travel, right? So Americans are not fully back to visit in Europe, are not fully back to visit in Europe and vice versa, right? Europeans are not fully back to visit in North America or Africa. However, when we look at the growth rates relative to where we were last year, we see a huge spike, a huge inflection point. And so we really believe that this year is very much going to be, you know, the last few years we got back to 100 on domestic and regional travel. This year is going to be the return and the growth of long haul travel approaching a full recovery. And then the big kind of elephant in the room is what's going to happen in Asia. Because if you look at Asia Pacific, even though there's huge growth year on year, we're still down 43% relative to 2019 in terms of international arrivals. Uh, we are optimistic and hopeful based on the trend that that is starting to reverse. There are some really big question marks around China, but certainly, you know, we're seeing travel to Japan and to Korea and to India start to bounce back. And so we are seeing signs of strength there. And this is one of the big things that we're going to be watching for the rest of this year and into next year. Um, and so that's how sort of things are evolving and changing a little more tactically in terms of tourism flows. But we want to actually talk a little bit about how things are also changing in terms of consumer trends and consumer behaviors. And so I'm going to jump back to, to Varsha and I'm going to ask her to talk to us a little bit about how some consumer trends have changed since the pandemic. And this is, I think, the next one that she wants to talk about. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is a slight update. So as we know, I mean, there were a lot of changes that happened during the pandemic because of the pandemic. Remote work for that matter, has been there forever. I mean, it was there before the pandemic as well, but this is something which has stuck around. And in fact, our surveys show that, you know, this has become a dominant work arrangement across different countries in the world. For that matter, if you look at the chart on the right, according to a Deloitte study, the number of work from home days per week increased by almost 4x in 2022 as compared to the pre-pandemic times. So, I mean, and also we are very bullish again that this trend is expected to persist in the foreseeable future. But why are we highlighting this? Why I picked this particular chart is because this particular consumer trend has a lot of, you know, consequences and opportunities for the travel Hello, industry again. Let me just quickly highlight a few to you. One uh, being, you know, remote work boosts travel. Um, Business travelers across all four countries that we surveyed, uh, as shown in the left chart, uh, have actually started taking more number of shorter trips. They have extended their travel periods, and you know, just because of the flexibility that this work arrangement offers them. And second, being the the very famous consumer trend that everyone's been talking about, that blended travel. I mean, uh, the flexibility that this work arrangement offers is sort of bound to blend business and leisure and for that matter in one of the slides in the deck you would see that you know euro monitor has forecasted that global spending on blended travel that means combining business and leisure will become actually double of what it is right now by 2027. so again i mean data shows that this will be a consumer trend which is sort of thriving on the remote work arrangement which has born because of the pandemic again and third Again, like one data point that I want to highlight is the usage of co-working spaces, which is a big opportunity for the travel suppliers, 
So for example, hotels can actually offer their spaces. Again, like we've talked about this concept called hybrid hospitality of how, you know, co-working spaces being merged as a value offering by hotels can, you know, be a very uh, lucrative business proposition and a big time opportunity for them to uh, take on. So yeah, I mean, this is one major consumer trend that, you know, we wanted to discuss on this uh, session. Yeah, thank you, Varsha. And and certainly, I think many of us have experienced this. And, and your point, your last point about hotels and co-working is a really good one. And I think we're going to talk a little bit more about hotels in just a moment. So we're kind of wrapping up the, the first half. You've seen the first three stories we want to tell about travel as a long-term megatrend, about the re return of international travel driving the next leg of growth, and about changing consumer behaviors. Um, we're going to jump over and talk a little more sector specific because we do have this huge section in this report on what's happening in the individual sectors. And Varsha, your point about the future of hospitality, hybrid hospitality, that's a good time to really talk about hotels. And so we're going to switch to our hotel sectors. I'm going to ask Pranavi to talk a little bit more um, about one of her favorite slides in this section, one of her favorite stories that's currently happening in the hotel industry. Yeah, thanks, Seth. So yeah, so one of the big mega trends that we've been talking about for a while at Skift has really been the boom in luxury hospitality, with luxury hotels really being the ones uh, kind of leading the recovery in the US and in the Europe and in Europe. And, uh, you know, much of this trend has really been led by huge pent up demand, consumers having a lot of um, excess savings. And in turn, luxury hotels really reaping the rewards by showing incredibly strong pricing power and really cranking up the rates for luxury rooms. And, and I personally am very optimistic that these strong rates are here to stay and that demand for luxury will you know, continue to stay strong even in the face of a, of a looming recession. Luxury consumers tend to be pretty immune to recessions and high, infl and high inflation. Um, but you know, even besides that, um, even though excess cash held by consumers has fallen from the peaks of 2020, consumers still have 10 to 15% more savings than they did in 2019. So there's plenty of reasons to be fairly optimistic. But, you know, the story around the global travel recovery has evolved a lot in the last 12 months. And the chart on the screen here kind of asks the question, who out of the major hotel brands will really outperform both as Asia recovers and Varsha and Seth have talked about that recovery a lot already, but also as US and Europe are hit by a potential recession into 2023, 2024. And I think it's gift we're fairly optimistic that the travel industry will have a soft landing if there is a recession. And at the same time, we're also expecting very strong performance from Asian hotels, especially luxury hotels, and for them to outperform other chain scales, just like we've seen in the, U in, in the US and in Europe, kind of following that similar playbook. So I think in that respect, um, um, you know, we think that Hyatt and Accor being the most exposed to luxury but also being the most exposed to asia will reap the benefits the most and we think are most likely to outperform the kind of more us-based brands such as hilton marriott wyndham choice um, and obviously we're in q2 results now in q2 earnings season so this is definitely an interesting theme that we're we're looking out for at the moment awesome thank you so much for that and uh, what I think is also cool is that this is actually a chart directly from a report on chain scales that Pranavi did. Uh, you can see it's linked down here in the bottom, recession watch and hotel chain scale analysis. So you can see we're pulling directly from our SCIF research. We're highlighting these things. 
um, for you. And if you want to learn more, you know, uh, you know where to find it. You can go to, to Skip Research. I'm going to take the next uh, sector trend and we're going to jump from hotels. And actually, we're going to jump all the way over here. We're going to talk about multi-day tour operators. I think this is a really exciting space and one that I'm really proud that we were able to include in this report because it often gets overlooked and there's not a lot of public companies, right? There's a lot of public airlines. There's a lot of public online travel. There's a lot of public hotels. So there's a lot of really easily, well, not, well, not easily, but there's a lot of data out there in those sectors. The multi-day tour space is so important. It's what reason why many people travel. It generates billions of dollars, but it often gets overlooked because there's not easily accessible data. And so for this, we were really happy. We were able to generate a lot of really interesting privately held, some of the data never before seen data that we could include in this report. And I just wanted to highlight this one, but just to show the strength of the tour operator recovery. So we're looking here at TUI. They are actually a public company. They're a German-based uh, tour packager and tour operator. They do charter flights, cruises, activities. We're also looking at Intrepid Travel. They're a much smaller, more boutique operator focused on small group and cultural tourism. And we're looking at how their revenue is recovered relative to 2019. Now, this is a kind of an old school style chart. You saw a lot in 2021 and 2022. But the thing is, is that, you know, so many hotels and airlines, maybe they reached or at a full recovery by 2022. Not so with the tour operators. You can see that they were hurt a lot harder and in many cases, a lot worse than many other sectors. People maybe would still travel and book a hotel, but maybe they'd get a short term rental or they'd spend time with family or friends or they would do a COVID safe activity. They weren't really doing group activities, but we are now seeing that that desire to do group activities is really coming back in a strong way. You can see TUI fully year to date, fully recovered relative to where it was. Intrepid travel, in fact, 16% above where it was before the pandemic. So that's really strong growth in the space. This is, again, an exciting space. We're seeing an interest in more uh, cultural tourism. We're seeing a shift towards, again, towards more long haul tours. It's tours, sorry. It's within the data here, but you, you'll look, you'll see in terms of where people want to take tours and where they want to go, it's very much shifting from domestic to long haul. And it's really interesting. And along with the day tours space, multi-day tours and day tours are very much offline. I think we have a stat in here that multi-day tours 68% of them accept credit cards, which means a third don't accept credit cards. And so there's a huge amount of opportunity for this area, along with the day tours area, to move online, to digitize, to see new forms of online travel and distribution, and just to see really interesting growth uh, in this space. It seems very similar to what happened to airlines and hotels decades ago, and what's kind of in progress today with short-term rentals, where we see a shift towards digitization. So it's a sector we're excited about. It's a sector that there's not a lot of data on, and we were really happy to get be able to highlight some of this and to see the recovery in that space. Um, and so uh, we're going to jump back uh, and we're going to do one more sector. And speaking of, in the transition there, speaking of both A, hard to access data, and B, speaking of the shift from offline to online, I'm going to throw it back to Pranavi. She just did a report on Hopper. It's really exciting, uh, and I won't steal too much of her thunder. I'm going to let her talk about it. Yeah, thanks, Seth. So the last story we want to highlight is around one of the most exciting companies in online travel at the moment, which is Hopper. So yeah, so Hopper, for those of you who might not know, it's it's actually been around for a while. It was founded in 2007, but only really in the last few years has it really come to the forefront as a uh, disruptor of the legacy OTA market based on app usage in the US, Hopper has gained nearly 8% market share since 2019 
And it's really outperformed the big companies such as Expedia, Booking, Priceline, Airbnb. And, and its market share gains are only second to Verbo. Verbo is the short-term rental brand owned by Expedia. And Verbo really benefited a lot from a huge surge in demand for whole homes and private rentals through, through COVID. And that is a part of um, travel that Hopper isn't as exposed to. So it really goes to show how quickly Hopper has grown and really gained share of, of the market. So, so how has Hopper done this? What is the secret sauce, really? Um, and, you know, we interviewed a lot of execs over at Hopper. And in our report, we um, have laid out key financials and we've had unprecedented access to, um, to, to their execs. But the kind of sense I got from speaking to the folks over at Hopper is that there's a real sense that Hopper tries to address the, you know, the key pain points in the industry. And I think a lot of its success is based around its launch of a whole suite of fintech products, which are really trying to alleviate consumer anxiety um, in, in the travel industry. And, you know, through COVID, there's been a lot of chaos in the travel industry, flight delays, cancellations, your private rental host not turning up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Hopper has really uh, kind of jumped on that bandwagon and monetized it uh, really, really well. And to kind of link this to more recent news, um, you know, Skift recently published an exclusive that Expedia has cut its B2B ties, its B2B partnerships with Hopper. And I think that really goes to show how competitive online travel has become. And we can kind of talk about B2B a little bit in the Q&A. But yeah, so Hopper is a very interesting company that we're keeping an eye on, especially looking at how it develops its fintech products. I think it's faced a little bit of backlash, especially with Expedia cutting ties with it. Um, but also it's a private company is rapidly growing as Hopper eventually IPOs, which will be a huge IPO. Um, it's, it's something that we're really keeping our, our eye on and are very interested in. Awesome. Um, so we're going to jump to some Q and A's now. So this is your chance to ask us your questions about the state of travel. So go ahead and put them in the chat. Um, I'll just say thank you so much for all this. So, um, I have, I do have some questions though, uh, as we're waiting for some to filter in, and and I, th I think we'll start. We haven't heard from you in a while, Varsha. Let's let's get you back in this conversation here. You were talking about the big picture, some economic risks, consumer some economic trends and consumer trends. But I want I want to talk about the risks. I want to know what keeps you up at at night, Varsha, when you think about what could go wrong. I mean, so one I've already talked about, right? The economic risks, because I mean, we've been hearing about this looming recession, inflation. Uh, I sort of uh, do a lot of consumer uh, surveys for Skift Research, and this has been a consistent uh, sort of takeaways. You know, people are experiencing higher travel prices as compared to last year. And I mean, we know that travel is a discretionary spend, and that is highly vulnerable to, you know, spend cuts when it comes to, you know, a recession or inflation for that matter. So, so that's one. I mean, there is an economic risk. Um, we don't know, I mean, how it pans out, right? So we know that, as we said, the luxury of it is sort of insulated. That's fine, but I mean, we are also, uh, you know, we, we, if you talk about the masses, we don't know how the travel spending cuts actually take a toll on uh, the bottom line of travel suppliers, etc. So that's one big risk, I think. And the second being the, the labor shortages for that matter. And we have really emphasized on this in our, operational constraints section in the report. I mean, there are so many charts showing how bad the situation is in hotels, in airlines, 
they're like I mean, both the sectors have recovered demand wise but if you talk about the labor shortages it's pretty happy i mean i, I it's let's see how it pans out i mean there's a big question mark as to how the brain drain etc will actually be tackled in in the recovery period um and uh, talking about risks i think one is ai of course i mean you for that matter have uh, sort of written a lot about it and we you know it's it's a good thing and we're pretty excited about it and that's how we've uh, been communicating as gift also but i mean uh, in my mind that again is a big risk not maybe in the short term but once you know ai tools are sort of embedded in in the travel uh, industry in the long term i think the entire essence of the travel industry is its human touch and if we if we really are held and on getting ai incorporated in all all the processes we might lose that essence and yeah i mean maybe not a risk it might not qualify as a risk but that's a big question mark again for me in my mind so yeah i mean those are the the top uh, you know things that maybe keep me up at night yes yeah, to answer your question Seth. Seth, perhaps I'll I'll phrase a question to you. And you wrote, you were yeah. one of the first analysts really to write <laughs> a very comprehensive re report on generative AI and its impact on travel. What was the most interesting thing that you discovered from your research uh, when you were when you were writing that report? Yeah, well, I think I think it's a great point, Vars. Right, I think a lot of people are thinking about AI and and what the risks are and what it means. I mean, I, I would just say from a top line perspective, and we did actually another LinkedIn live on this. We think it's a huge opportunity. We think it's a $30 billion opportunity. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> I think there's a lot of ways to think about it. I think one of the things you're saying is like, what does it mean for the human touch? We actually ran a survey on what people in the travel industry think. And many of them said, well, like I'm worried about AI taking my job. And I mean, if we're being honest, there are probably some very routine tasks that can be replaced by a but we're really not there yet and I, I think about it as more of an opportunity to unlock productivity and I, I always say this like we ask we say that this is an industry that's all about human touch and human connectivity but so many people at the front desk of a hotel or the front or at the gate agent of an airline they're captive to their technology they're banging their heads against you know a computer screen trying to make a certain thing work they can't answer customer requests they don't have the information they need at their fingertips AI certainly in the long run is one of the things that promises to make that easier, to make everyone into a concierge, to make everyone into a five-star luxury kind of person. They can answer questions more easily. They can be more productive. They can, you know, you can free up human time with easily frequently asked questions. And so we think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I, I totally get it's a risk. And certainly there's a lot of really smart people who think that AI is a risk and I'm, I'm not going to dismiss it, but I, I very much am excited about the opportunity. Um, uh, you know, in, in front of me, we'll, we'll go back to you, right? Um, we talked a lot about stories here and, and different things. AI is one of those unanswered questions. Uh, what What is like one of the biggest unanswered questions in, in your mind about um, where the travel industry is headed? What do you think is like a big yeah. debate? Yeah, I think there are some questions about this in the comments as well yeah. around uh, around business travel. And that's really been the key unanswered question. And I think we've had a lot of contradicting um, statements from the CEOs and execs of big companies in the travel industry. We've had company CEOs of Accor, for example, saying that he thinks there's going to be a permanent impairment. And then on the other hand, you've got CEOs of Hilton Marriott saying that business travel is going to fully recover by, you know, by the end of 2024. Um, 
But I think, um, you know, I, business travel has changed a lot. And I think you can't talk about business travel without talking about blended travel. And that's and, and blended travel, the com- combination of business and leisure has really introduced new use cases um, in the travel industry. And that should see travel companies really put out new products, new innovations, um, kind of different and more efficient ways of monetization. And I think that's where I'm very curious to see who, what, what players do what and how, how that pans out. But I think, I, I think generally I'm very optimistic about business travel. Uh, you know, when video conferencing first came out um, in, the, in the 2000s, there were a lot of news articles that business travel is dead. And obviously, of course, it wasn't dead. And um, I, I don't think it's going to die going forward either. And I see, I'm just looking at some audience questions here. There was one about remote work, which I think you've done a nice job answering there. There's one here. I like this from, from Theon. I apologize if I pronounced that incorrectly. Um, do you have any insight on when we can expect the Asian market to start ramping up travel outside of Asia, particularly uh, M- Middle East and Africa, he's asking about. But I think the broader question is about um, what's happening in China, a- in Asia in general. So I think to answer your question, the key issue is what is going to happen in China, right? China was the single largest source of outbound travel in the world in 2019, more both in terms of absolute numbers of people and in terms of traveler spend. I think like something like 100 billion more coming out of China than came out of the US. And we have very much not seen a full return there. Um, you know, my view is that I think that this will start to ramp up again um, in the coming probably not, I mean, even even fully this year, probably 2024 into 2025, that slide that I showed, we saw it was something like 500% growth um, in international travel within Asia for year over year, still down 40% versus 2019. So we're starting to see the inflection point. We're not fully there yet. I might also throw to you, Varsha, you had, I know, done a survey of Chinese travelers. What, what were your findings there? Right. So, I mean, given that China just opened recently, not pretty recently, but February uh, this year. We can call that pretty uh, recently amongst us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the survey actually showed that there are approximately 70% Chinese who are wanting to travel in the next 12 months. So that's a big number. I mean, there is a travel boom coming our way with respect to Chinese outbound passengers. Out of those 70% people, actually, half of them have already booked their trips. So that says something about uh, the the you know the outbound uh, demand coming our way. Um, I mean that's that. But if you uh, if you actually look at it, take a look at the report. Obviously, headline numbers look big. Um, Chinese travelers are going to come back in maybe a bigger, grander version. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, you know granular, there's a lot of granularity to it, and I mean there are a lot of patterns that have actually changed. So for example. Chinese are known for, uh, you know, big group travels, et cetera, but that's actually changing to solo travel, for example. Uh, there's a lot of experiential travel that's uh, also uh, in demand. So, I mean, uh, you know, the, the minor uh, trends are changing, but the big picture is that China is going to come back big. But at the same time, I mean, since we are talking about China, we should talk about India as well. Um, of course. We, you know, whenever whenever we talk about Asia, everyone talks about, you know, Chinese tourists coming back, etc. But if you actually look at the data, the, the in, you know, the number of searches or for that matter, the number of bookings in the last one year have been actually much, much higher. I would say maybe 5x higher uh, by Indians uh, as compared to Chinese. 
and also if you look at a lot of travel spend data i mean it's just a sort of a preconceived notion that you know chinese uh, tourists spend a lot but if you look at the data indians actually may be a little frugal when it compares, com- comes to domestic trips but if you talk about outbound travel they are maybe they're for sure at par with chinese with respect to travel spend so i mean uh, yeah just saying i mean where we talk about asia let's talk about both china and india like coming in a big way awesome thank you for that varsha that was really insightful i think we're we're coming up on time i want to do a couple of lightning round audience questions but i think we only have time for like maybe two maybe three uh let's go i i like this question oh where did i just lose it um maria donut is hopper strong only in the usa what do you think pranavi Yeah, so Hopper is mainly based in the US. Um so but they ha- they are expanding very rapidly internationally. I think some of the stats if I remember correctly, I think 5% of their top line was in the US pre-COVID um and now it's more like 25%. I think that that that's a big big expansion internationally. Um but right now they're still um big in US. They're the third biggest OTA in 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 North America. but i i don't think i could say, say the same for for europe but they are they have got their eyes on international markets um i i see a question from Jackie Hagen uh can you comment on the competitive uh oh sorry Jackie Hagen about competitive assets but there was another one in here too about short term rentals i think i saw one about short term rentals oh here caroline burns how is hotel recovery faring versus vacation rentals that's a really interesting question one that we covered at our um recent short term rental summit and the answer is it all depends on your perspective so to speak the recovery in vacation rentals has been significantly stronger than the recovery in hotels relative to where we were in 2019 it's one of the only sectors that grew during the pandemic and is larger today than it was in 2019 however if we look at just year on year if we get a little more short term and look a little more year to year quarter to quarter it's very clear that <clears throat> some of the vacation rental growth is decelerating you might call it normalizing whereas hotels still have a lot of tailwind behind them. Basically, vacation rentals saw not just a recovery but growth in the pandemic and now they're going back to the pre-pandemic trends to an extent, uh whereas hotels saw a huge decline during the pandemic and are now seeing growth as they return to where they were um before. Uh at least in our opinion and there's certainly lots of data out there we can debate over. There's interesting stuff happening with the rise of professional managers versus Airbnbs. It's it some of there we do have a whole short-term rental section in this report. I also see a question from Angelo Cruz with a very uh fitting last name because he asks has cruise travel recovered uh sorry for the pun there Angelo I don't mean to pick on our our viewers actually if we can just very uh quickly show back to the state of travel report we do have um uh we do have a cruise section here and we do suggest that cruise companies are making a strong comeback they're not fully rec- depends on the the cruise company but on track to um a full recovery and I'll I'll also just show you we have a a short term rental section as well so we we didn't get to tell those maybe individual we only could highlight a couple of stories from throughout the report but we do have answers to both cruise and short term rental what about train travel well, we don't have train travel I'll admit that, that is where we we don't have but we have a lot of other stories um we have a lot of other stories a lot of other data in here We are pretty much at time. We're actually a little bit over time. I I want to thank everyone for joining and for tuning in. I hope you found this interesting and useful. I want to thank Varsha and Pranavi 
for joining me and for being so game to, to tell their favorite stories from this report, for doing great work and the whole research team and putting this report together um, and for joining us today. So um, thanks for having us. I, I had a lot of fun. I hope you guys had some fun as well and, and the audience, you guys enjoyed it too. Thank you. See you. All right. See everyone. Thank thanks. you, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Skift Podcast. Thank you for listening.